Well, I want to begin by telling you how much I appreciate you and how proud I am of you. So last Sunday, um, our children's ministry called it Bumper Bag Sunday, and so we collected, that's the back of Brandy's car there, um, you guys put a bunch of stuff around your um, vehicles, and so last Sunday the kids walked around and they collected them, and then Brandy took those uh, Monday evening um, to churches on the street, and even was able to be a part of um, passing those out, and so I, I got to tell you how much I appreciate being a, a part of a church who is willing to be generous and serve and give, and so thank you all very much. And we have another opportunity next weekend, kind of unique. We are a part of the Wildwood Barbecue Bash, and as a church, we take care of the dining tent. So we get a clean from Friday night all the way through Sunday afternoon. And so we need about 65, 70 people who would be willing to go and just say, you know what, I want to be a part of making an impact and really serving our city. And so if you haven't yet, you can go through those doors. Um, there's a place to sign up as you leave here today. Um, many people have signed up. We have many spots that are filled up, but we want you to come and be a part of serving next week. So I mentioned last week that our family, when our kids were younger, we took a lot of vacations and trips as a family. And so in the summer of 1999, we took a trip to New York City. And so this is a picture, um, obviously the quality of cameras in 1999, you know, when I was eight years old was terrible. <clears throat> but we had a lot of fun on that particular trip. We went to Madison Square Garden. That was the place that I wanted to go right there we are. Um, we went to the NBA store. Um, we took a ferry um, to be able to see the Statue of Liberty. In fact, we got to see, it's impossible to see there, but the World Trade Center is actually back there because it was 1999. We went into the lobby, kind of the basement of the World Trade Center. We were going to go up to the top of it, but um, I, I didn't want to fork out the 70 bucks that it was going to take for our family to go up there. Of course, you look back now and you think, oh, I should have done that. We did go up in the Empire State Building, so there's a picture of that. But I have never felt so lost as I did when we tried to take the subway in New York City. Never felt so lost. They don't have north and south. It's uptown and it's downtown, and I have no clue which one was what. I mean, I'm standing there. There's a map in front of me, and I still have no idea where I'm supposed to go. But, of course, as a guy, am I going to admit that I'm lost and I don't know where I'm going? No, I'm not. If it hadn't been for this nice lady who was seeing our confusion of our family and my wife's willingness to have a conversation with her, we'd have probably still been standing there to this day. I mean, I, I learned this valuable lesson that you never can be found if you're not willing to admit that you're lost. Now, I bet you have some good vacation stories. I heard a bad vacation story this morning. I bet you have some good stories about trips. Maybe you got lost at one time or you got sick on a vacation or you met somebody new and unique. Jesus was great at telling stories. Jesus told stories about farming. He told stories about fishing. He told stories about finding treasure. One of the most loved stories that Jesus told was a story about a son who got lost. A son who got lost. And if it hadn't been for this son's willingness to admit that he was lost, he would have never turned home and come back to his father. And that's the story that I want us to talk about today. And today, my prayer is that somebody in this room would make a decision to come home to the father. 
So we're in this series entitled The Journey of Mercy. And so as a church, we're taking this journey together, not really to a specific destination, as much as God's wanting to do a work in the hearts and lives of Wildwood Christian Church. God's wanting to change us. God's wanting to, us to become a place that exhibits more and more God's characteristic of mercy. And the, the question we started with last week then, of course, is what is mercy? And so we talked about mercy being undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Undeserved forgiveness, unearned kindness. And generally, mercy is exhibited by somebody who has the power or the authority. Somebody else has done something to hurt me or to harm me, and so I have you know, the right to retaliate. I have the power here, but I show mercy. Undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. And so last week, as we're kind of taking these steps to learning to become a church that shows mercy, we discovered that before we can ever show mercy, we've got to understand that we serve a God who is full of mercy. The question that Micah, the Old Testament prophet, asked is, who is a God like you? He is a God who delights to show mercy. And so today, we're going to learn this truth that we cannot give what we have never received. And so the story of the lost son is found in Luke chapter 15. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you if you didn't bring one. The page number is in your notes, your outline there. You can turn your phone or your tablet on. But in Luke 15, Jesus encounters some men who just really didn't appreciate him at all. They didn't appreciate what he valued at all. They didn't like the fact that Jesus hung around with, as they termed them, sinners, right? Tax collectors, prostitutes, they called them sinners. But guess which group Jesus loved to hang around with? The sinners, right? Which I'm thankful because I'm one of those sinners. But he placed a high value on people who were lost. And so these guys were all over Jesus. So here's how Luke 15 begins. Verse 1 says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So the whole chapter, all of chapter 15 is Jesus telling three stories, all with one point in mind to demonstrate how much the Father values that which is lost. Now when I use the term lost, and we're talking about people who don't know Jesus, who don't have a relationship with God, who are not saved, whatever terms you want to use. When I'm talking about lost, it's not a statement of value because everyone is valuable to God. In fact, the more lost you are, the more valuable you are to God. That's why he sent his son to seek and save that which was lost. But he tells these three stories to demonstrate that he valued that which is lost. So he tells the story about the lost sheep, about the lost coin, and here about the lost son. And they all reveal the heart of the father. Now, there are three characters in our story that we're going to look at. There's a father and two sons. You have the father, and the father is God, okay? It's a story that Jesus is telling. It's an illustration. He's wanting us to know some very key, important truths. So when you see the Father, you need to think God, all right? Then you have two sons. You have the prodigal son, the one who leaves home, and you have the elder brother, the one who stays there. The prodigal son represents every one of us in this room at some time or another. 
We are either currently lost away in a distant land or we are home, we have been found. The elder brother represents the Pharisees, these religious leaders. It could possibly represent some of us in this room. So beware as we read the story together. So here's the key, that we will never ever reach a place as a church that we extend mercy unless we have received mercy. You can't give what you have not received. And so we're going to look at this story to see what it's like to receive this kind of mercy. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. So I'm going to ask you to stand back up as I read this. You follow along silently in your Bible, or you can watch up on the screen as I read this together. Luke chapter 17, beginning, or 15, sorry, beginning in verse 11. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the, inherit, or the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worried to be, worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put him on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. You may be seated. So Jesus tells this story, which begins simply with the guy had two sons, and the younger son does what? The younger son makes this request. The request is, verse 11 there, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, that sounds to all of us a little bit selfish, right? I mean, if you have kids and they come to you and they demand something that well, maybe they're not quite ready, you're not quite ready to give them. It sounds a little bit presumptuous of this young man. It seems a little bit irresponsible, like he doesn't really appreciate all the things that he's been given from the father up to this point. But there's a cultural thing that happens here that we don't really understand because most of us aren't Jewish, right? It's more than just ungrateful. Ken Bailey is a missionary and a New Testament scholar who lives in the Middle East, and he writes all kinds of things about the parables. And here's what he writes about this specific story. He says, for 15 years, I've been asking people of all walks of life, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implication of a son's request for his inheritance while his father is still living. You know, it's one thing to go to your parents and say, when you die, what do I get in the will? But it's another thing to say, and can I have it right now? 
Bailey says, for 15 years I've been asking people this, and the answer is almost always the same. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? The request means he wants his father to die. The son comes to the father and says, I want what's coming to me when you die, and I don't want to wait that long to get it. I want to live as if you were dead right now. And it's easy to shake our heads in kind of like bewilderment. Why would this kid do something so selfish as this? And so as the guys, the people in the crowd are listening to this story, they know what's going to come next, right? The father's going to say, yeah, um, in your dream world, right? But Jesus always messes with us when he tells this story. The father in the story does something the Jews listening were not expecting. They, he granted the son's request, which gives us our first glimpse into the heart of the father, that he is generous and that he is loving and that he is gracious and so the father gives him this gift. And what does the son do to the, with the gift? Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So what does the son do? He takes his inheritance, turns his back on the father, and he walks away. Which gives us the second glimpse into the heart of the father, that he will allow any of us to walk away from him. He won't stop us. He won't keep us from doing that. It's the truth and the teaching in, in the scripture called free will. That though God is sovereign and he rules and reigns over all things, he also has placed within us free will, the ability to choose because forced love is no love at all. So the father lets the son leave knowing full well the consequences that the son is going to face because he knows the foolishness of the son. So verse 14 goes on with the story. After he, this is the prodigal son, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now to squander, as it says there in verse 13, is to just kind of scatter loosely in an area like you're not even paying enough attention to what you have. It just kind of falls through your fingers. It just goes all over the place. And we would look at that and we say, how foolish is that to do that? And his foolishness catches up to him, right? We forget, many people, that the choices we make today have consequences to tomorrow that we can't avoid that we can't step away from, we can't walk away from. You make decisions today, and there is a price to be paid, good or bad, tomorrow. Circumstances will also always conspire against us. And so a famine hits the land, and he begins to be in need because he hasn't paid any attention to the fact that he needs to save up or he needs to plan for a famine. It hits people who've planned for it in a hard way. Imagine the impact that it has on this young man who has squandered foolishly all the resources that he has. He begins to be in need. And this is, again, another glimpse into the heart of our Heavenly Father, that our Heavenly Father 
will allow us to be in need. He will allow us to be in a place where we hurt, where we have struggles in our life. God loves you and he loves me too much to shield us from the consequences of the choices that we make because he knows that's how we need to learn. He knows that that's the only way we will see our desperate need. But the guy hasn't hit rock bottom yet. So he's so desperate that he hires himself out to this guy who sends him out to the field to feed pigs. Now, most commentators would say this was probably just one more way that a foreigner could get to a Jew. Because foreigners know that to Jews, pigs were like anathema, right? You don't eat them, you don't even keep them. They were just not, I mean, you read through the Old Testament, I mean, eating pork was a huge no-no, a huge sin. But this guy's so desperate that he will even go out and take care of tin to these pigs. And before we can ever reach a place where we go home, sometimes we have to become desperate. So the young man arrives at a crossroads. So it's a crossroads of pain. I mean, if you live in a distant country long enough, sooner or later you're going to face some measure of pain in your life. And so for the son, what? He's alone. He's desperate. He is in huge need. He has no hope. And the question is, how is he going to respond to the pain? What's he going to do when he reaches this place where he's lost everything, he has no hope, he's all alone, he's feeding pigs, you know, he's doing the worst job imaginable. What's he going to do when he hits the wall? And the key here for this young man is that he no longer has the means to avoid facing it. No money, no parties, no distractions. In order to survive, he is going to have to take care of pigs. And I think for all of us, we reach this particular place in our lives where the distractions don't seem to work anymore, right? Where the frustrations and the discouragement and the pain that we face in our life that we've either medicated or we've avoided or we've done busy, we've, you know, anything that we could possibly do, we reach this place in which the pain is so great, we can't ignore it anymore. And the question is, what are we going to do at that particular moment? What are we going to do at that moment of pain? And so how does he respond to pain? Well, look what it says in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses. I love that phrase, when he came to his senses. And some of us in this room know what that looks like, right? When he came to his senses, because we've been there. Or we've been in the pig pen, and then suddenly it's like the fog lifts. And suddenly we see reality for what it is. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. See, this is the reason the father allows pain in our lives. This is the reason he does that, because he knows that for most people, it is not until the pain is so intense that suddenly the fog lifts and the clarity comes in, and we can suddenly see the things that we could never, ever see before. And so Jesus says he comes to himself, right? 
Um, he comes to his senses and he composes this little speech, you know? So he thinks up, okay, here's what I'm going to say to dad when I get back home, right? Here's kind of what I'm going to, here's my spiel. But he doesn't know all of the implications of his decision. What does he know? He just knows one thing. I just need to get home to the father. I'm so desperate. I know that's the place that I need to go to. And so what does the son experience when he comes home? So again, you got to picture yourself sitting in the crowd listening to Jesus tell the story. And so it says the son gets up and he begins to make his way back to the father. And for most of us, we think to ourselves, he's going to picture the father with his arms crossed, you know, tapping his foot, looking at this, in disdain at this boy when he finally walks up to him and says, so... I see you finally came back home. I knew you would. I knew you couldn't handle it all by yourself. And that's the picture most of us would picture a father like that. And so Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, just completely blows all of them away because he wants them to see his father in a certain light. So here's what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kisses him. I love that. What that means is dad's standing there watching for his son. I mean, he's working in the field because that's what he's doing. But every once in a while as he works, he looks up to see, is he coming home yet? We're talking possibly years down the road. And so he glances up, and there in the distance, he sees this lone figure coming down the road, and his heart's like, could it be possibly him? Is he, is he coming home now? But he sees this kid, just ragged kid. He's so skinny because he's, you know, been in a famine in the midst, and suddenly dad realizes, that's my son, and he is, what does it say? He is filled with compassion. And what is it? He He runs. The father runs. Now, if you read any kind of literature about the Old, Test or the Old Testament or Jesus' day, Jewish dignitary kind of people, fathers, they don't run because it's so undignified. But this father runs. He's filled with compassion, and he puts his arm around him, and he begins to kiss him. Now, think about where this boy's been. He's been working in a pig pen. He is smelly. He is stinky. His clothes are ragged. And yet, what does the father do? He grabs him in his arms. And in, in fact, the description is it's not like one kiss. It's just like he cannot contain himself with love for his son. I got to tell you, there's no more important picture that you need to see of the father than this picture right here. In the midst of, of our sin and the grossness of all the stuff that we've done, our father looks at every one of us with his arms wide open in love as he welcomes us into his arms. I mean, this kid had to have just been shocked beyond belief. And so what, what's he do? He starts into this speech that he's probably been rehearsing, you know, for miles and miles and miles. It says in beginning in verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But is dad listening? No. 
Father said to his servants, quick, put the bet, bring the breast robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father did not just forgive him. The father restored him. You know, the, the robe and the ring and the sandals and killing the fatted calf and the celebration. That is not just I'm forgiving you. That is I am restoring you to the place, my place as a son. You know, the robe, the, thing, the ring, it's like a signet ring that he would say, yeah, this is, you know, verified. This is something that you can do. The sandals on his feet, servant went barefoot. But a son wears sandals. And so whoever you are and whatever you've done in your life, this is God's heart towards you. This is how God the Father sees you. He don't, doesn't want you to live as a hired servant. He wants you to live as his beloved daughter or son if we will just turn to him. That's the heart of our Heavenly Father, our heart of forgiveness and compassion and mercy. So how do we respond to this? Number one, we've got to admit that we are lost. You can't be found unless you're willing to admit that you are lost. And maybe you're sitting here saying, you know, God, Doug, I, I don't really need found. I don't really need to be rescued because my life is good. I'm fine. So that means you don't have any kind of pain in your life. You don't have any kind of pressure. You got no struggles in your life, no problems. Everything's great. Especially when, you know, you sit there and you're all by yourself. Maybe it's late at night and nobody else is around and it's really quiet and you start thinking back to your life and the things going on in your life. That doesn't bother you. You have no stress. I mean, you don't need any kind of rescuing from any, anything except for the fact that you are out of touch with the reality and you need help from that because we all have problems. We all have things from our past. We all need to be rescued. Anyone who hasn't come home to the Father is in need of rescuing. Anyone who hasn't said yes to Jesus, is in need of rescuing. Mike Foster, in his book, People, the Second Chance, said this, What I've learned in my own grace story is that losing everything is the entry fee for the prodigal party that God invites us to. Tickets can be picked up only in the valley of death. You can't find them anywhere else. Trust me. I look, StubHub, eBay, Willy Wonka, chocolate bars, Amazon, the church. The tickets aren't there. We find them only in the blackest, deepest brokenness of our pain and loss. And God will allow us to continue to feel the pain until we choose to turn back to him. Number two, you need to repent and come home. Because it's not enough to just acknowledge the pain. We have to accept that we are responsible for that pain. Not my parents, not the culture around me, not the famine. I did this to myself. I am responsible. And so to repent is to do exactly what the son does. I acknowledge that I am here because I made these choices. And when I acknowledge that, then I can come home to the Father. And you notice the change of attitude here. He goes from before he leaves home, you know, give me my share, to he comes home. There's no give me, it's just make me your servant. He leaves saying, give me, he comes back saying, make me. And that's salvation. We go from give me, everything should be mine, I deserve everything, to God, I deserve nothing. I just need you to make me your servant. So how do I come home? 
The purpose of Jesus telling the story is not to give us the plan of salvation, but to give us the heart of his Father. And so Jesus gives instruction to his apostles about here's how a person is saved. It's the very answer Peter gave on the first day of the church. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I repent, just like that prodigal son. I realize I've messed up my life, and I cannot do anything to make this right. I'm lost and in need of saving. And to be baptized is to accept that welcome home. I mean, in fact, it's interesting the words that the Father uses here. Because one of the pictures of baptism is a death and a burial and resurrection. And what does the father say when his son has come home? He said, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Come home. That's what God wants us to do. I would love to stop the story right there. But there's a part that we didn't read. Not just because we're running out of time, but because it's the hardest part of the whole story. Because there's a second son, right, who never left home. He's always been there, always done what the father wanted him to do. He walks up to the house when the party is going on because he's been out in the field doing what he's supposed to do, doing good, right? Ask the servant what's going on. The servant says, your brother's come home and your dad's throwing a party. And it just ticks off the older brother. Dad finally comes out to the older brother. Dad says, come on in, we're celebrating. And the son basically says, I've been here, I've been good, I've done everything you wanted me to do. You've never thrown a party for me. And the father says, everything I have is yours, but your son was lost and is home. We have to throw a party for him. The elder brother is anyone who chooses not to show mercy for those who desperately need it. So who's the older brother? It's me. Whenever I refuse to extend mercy to someone who desperately needs that mercy, you and I have been shown astonishing love with that father in his arms wide open. How can we withhold that mercy from anyone else? And anytime we refuse to do that, we're the older brother. So what do we do about this today? Some of you need to acknowledge that you are in pain. That you are doing everything you can in your life to try to mask that pain and medicate that pain and make that pain go away. But when you're all by yourself and there's nothing else there, that pain intensifies in your life. And what we do when the pain hits is the difference between life and death. Today, You can courageously acknowledge the fact that, you know what, my sin is what has caused the pain in my life. I feel that. I know it's what I've done, this inner emptiness within me. And you can turn away from the life that you've lived and you can come back home to the Father. And you can say yes to him. So are you a prodigal in need of returning to the Father? Are you the elder brother in need of repentance and coming back in? I pray that today you will make a decision to receive the mercy of God and to be willing to extend it to others. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are willing to tell such profound stories to help us to know and see and picture in our minds 
your arms wide open to every one of us, no matter who we are or what we've done, Lord. And so I ask and pray that you would, through your spirit, just impress that on our hearts and minds. And if there's anyone today that needs to come home to you, that this will be the day, Lord, that they'll make that choice, they'll make that decision. So, Father, work through us even right now, and it's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.